Hello everyone and welcome back to another lockdown edition of Keeping It Current. This week we'll be speculating about what the PM's lockdown exit plan will be and how we think the coronavirus pandemic will impact Britain's economy in the next few years. Jacob Reed is here with his political analysis once again. I am indeed. Uh, thank you again for having me back, Thomas. I, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't place me on furlough. <laughs> <laughs> That's rather tempting, yeah. But um, no, no, I'm not that tight. Uh, okay, and later in the show, he'll be taking on political Would You Rather for the very first time. I, I've got to admit, this is looking to be the climax of my lockdown experience so far so i'm ready and looking forward to it the pinnacle of your keeping it current career so far and uh, we also have the first appearance of our new segment guess who's talking later in the show and if that wasn't enough for you we'll have details of how you can be part of next week's show later on in the show let's get cracking then first it's time to talk about our predictions for the lockdown exit plan this week, the government has finally announced when the lockdown exit plan will be revealed. This Sunday, everybody will be all ears to hear how the PM is going to approach the easing of the measures. Jacob, do you believe that the government has timed this announcement to come after the bank holiday weekend? Oh, that's something I, I've not thought about. Um, because the, the legislation um, that was passed giving these extra powers for the police to enforce lockdown um, says that ministers must every three weeks uh, review the situation and that takes us to tomorrow yeah so, so that that's why i'm thinking maybe sunday maybe because we've got our bank holiday this weekend for ve day i think i think that is possible maybe as well they want it to be a big address to the nation and they think people are more likely to tune in yeah like the queen did hers on a sunday the queen did her address on a sunday yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I, I think it's possible because ultimately, um, I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to say this is what we could do or that's what might happen. But three more weeks like this, folks, three more weeks on lockdown, um, because that, that's what Nicola Sturgeon has just announced. The Scottish administration seems to be a bit ahead. So, so may, maybe... Maybe, yes, they want people to be in good spirits after an extra day off work, you know, no more dodgy internet connections when trying to do a Zoom call <laughs> on that Friday, um, and so on, on the Sunday, maybe the news will be better received. Well, yeah, uh, there, there has been some bits floated about. I think we're not going to see a complete banishment of the measures, but I think a couple of them could be eased slightly, say, like, maybe... Uh, some other shops might be open. Some people, like build construction workers, might go back to work or stuff like that. Yeah, and I think what what interested me, I read that the government's message to stay home, protect the NHS, stay save lives, um, was actually more powerful than the government expected. So they had places shutting, but the government never required to shut. So, so an example would be that. Uh, restaurants are allowed still to be doing takeaways. Takeaways but are allowed. McDonald's is completely shut. KFC, Burger exactly. King, never shut. Exactly, and so I think we could see the government nudging these guys to say, "Come on, you never, you never had to shut. We appreciate the caution you've taken, but we're getting the economy back on the road. Um, so it's time, t- 
time that you do. Just just the idea of... Thomas, I'm looking forward to my banana milkshake when, when McDonald's does reopen. I just want you know, a bit, uh, some mozzarella dippers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, there has been plenty of speculation about what is going to be the first part of the economy being fired back up. Many people believe that this is going to be the reopening of schools. Jacob, do you agree with that view that schools are going to be the first part to building the economy back up to what it was? Um, I don't know. In in terms of if the government's overriding priority is to get the government going, uh, to get the economy going, which I, I don't think it is. But if it was, then schools, I don't think would be the priority. It would be it would be shops and 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 stuff like that but clearly schools have a profound social effect you know on on parents who are having to look after children children who can't be sent to grandma homeschooling as well homeschooling yet people people in those key years years 10 and year 12 and the transition year of year six but they're worried that it could disproportionately impact Poorer students who maybe have mm-hmm. less motivation or don't they, have less access have a, to technology. Yeah, poorer, poorer Wi-Fi connections for people in in rural areas. So I think there is a profound social worry, and for that reason, they'll want to get schools going. But if you think about social distancing in, in a class of in a class of thirty eleven year olds, it, it's it's simply impossible. You know, you can you can split the class in two. You can do it on some sort of a rotor, you can stagger lesson times, you can do a part-time education. I'm sure they'll want to do that, but certainly it, it, the floodgates aren't going to open, is what I would say. Yeah, uh, talking about social distancing, there's also the speculation about how people will actually return to work as some form of social distancing is going to have to be maintained until the vaccine is found. Uh, and one suggestion of this has been staggered start times for workers. So, do you believe that staggered start times for workers can work? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people um, are much more likely to, in this instance, accept things that they wouldn't normally. You know, normally, if you said to 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 John, the office worker, I want you to start at ten and work until eight instead of starting at eight and working till six. Normally he'd probably tell you where to go. But um but in this instance I think people know they need to be flexible. It's interesting as well because um my 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 mum um was telling me she was chatting to her boss the other day who said that everyone is dying to get back into work. And so I think uh, from that perspective people will be willing to do whatever it takes to allow them to get into work. I think staggered start times um, would be one of just an abundance uh-huh. of measures, and it was a really interesting BuzzFeed article. They got hold of about um, seven government reports on how to get different sectors back up and mm-hmm. running, and yeah. it was things like yeah. staggered start times that helps with public transport to uh, no hot desks where you uh, where you just walk into the office and pick whichever desk is free. You know, not none of that stuff. Yeah, um, mate. Uh, just just to go on about the stagger start times, they may say, right, you guys start at seven, you guys start at ten, you start, you guys start at one, and then you say you go and have your break at ten when the new guys come in, and then so they're not mingling around when they the next starters are coming in or some stuff like that. Yeah, and I think I think it's things as well like 
um, maybe one week on, one week off, and it's this, yeah. So it's the same people. Yeah, the same group of people together all the time. Um, like almost like having a shift pattern in an office. In yeah, that way. exactly. And there's also the issue of commuting to work. Uh, especially in cities that rely heavily on public transport. And it's quite difficult to see a way around this, as it's impossible to stay two metres away from people on public transport, as you know, Jacob, from going on the train to school for the last seven years. Uh, so can you see a way... <laughs> well, yeah? I, I would say, actually, that, I mean, certainly that's been true for most of the seven years. The only time when it hasn't was those weeks, uh, just as the coronavirus was ramping up, people were staying at home. We were the only people on the train. So Jeremy Corbyn was clearly and profoundly wrong. You don't need to nationalise the rail industry to uh, improve services. You just need a global pandemic. <laughs> so can you actually see a way around the issue of commuting to work via public transport? I know there's been a couple of things like uh, checking your temperature on the way out, and obviously there's, there's the contract. Uh, contact tracing app thingy with Bob um, saying if you've had contact with anyone who's COVID positive yeah and I, I think um, I, I mean I think it's more doable in some places than in, in others so in, in trains for example I read that you would get them to about 15% capacity with social distancing and if you've got a situation whereby some people are still working from home and other people are taking part in a rotor, then, it, you know, that, that could be some sort of a solution. Will people be more inclined to start walking and cycling and when the law change comes into place using electric scooters? Because I, I, I think that a not insignificant number of people will have started mm. taking their daily exercise and will quite enjoy it and want to keep it up in some form. Yeah. But I think that's, that might be offset by the worry that that people don't want to use public transport for fear of, of, of not being able to socially distance. Mm -hmm. And so they start driving and it, and it, and it and yeah. drive up traffic. And especially if it's driving, you, we've been seeing things in the news recently saying that the carbon emissions are dropping by the most amount that has been in years. So uh, maybe this the fear of going on public transport could potentially uh, bring carbon emissions up to higher than ever before. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. And I, I think it, it, it's a really interesting environmental point for, for several reasons. I think, first of all, we see that when the government thinks something is a crisis, this is how it responds. So we had all of this rhetoric acknowledging that we're in an environmental crisis, but, but, but anything that was done pales in comparison mm -hmm. to what the government did in response to the coronavirus. Yeah. So I think this will help to shift the debate and see if we can be so radical in terms of combating the coronavirus, then we, we can be as well in terms of combating uh, the environmental problem. I think as well there's a big thing about when the government is, is planning some sort of a stimulus to get the economy going, mm -hmm. it would be easy to push that money into fossil fuels and whatever else that was guaranteed to make a return. Yeah. But will our good friend Rishi Sunak and his counterparts across the world instead invest in green uh, projects for the future? In mm -hmm. which case the coronavirus could be seen as the thing that really kick-started the green revolution and that's something that I think could be a silver lining yeah, it's it's certainly something to look out for over the next few months. So now it's time to talk about the impact that COVID nineteen 
is having on the economy. There has been plenty of assistance from the government in this time of crisis to businesses. For example, the job retention scheme, or furlough as it is better known now, where the government is paying people that are unable to go to work 80% of their wages. This is certainly a lot of money being given out by the government. Jacob, how do you feel that schemes like the furlough scheme are going to impact the economy in the next few years? Um, well, I think the, uh, the job retention scheme has been praised from all quarters, basically. Um, at one of the daily press briefings a few weeks ago, Matt Hancock was asked, um, how are they listening to other people and how are they reflecting on their mistakes? And he didn't, didn't acknowledge um, any one way in which they were reflecting on their mistakes. But the example he gave of listening to other people was that it was Labour's suggestion for the government to pay 80% of people's And that, that kind of doesn't make sense knowing that Labour are traditionally the party of the working class. Exactly, and the party in recent times of, known um, well, to be anti-austerity. And uh, tax and spenders, anti-left-wing people would say, really. That's what they would say. If you were, if you were a Blairite, you would say prudence with a, with a purpose. But the point is that this is a move that I think has, has got support from across the political spectrum. And clearly it's been a lifeline for so many people because businesses would, would be simply unable to keep so many people on yeah and that and would have a huge social yeah. impact um you know not being able not not having that peace of mind not having the money to mm-hmm. to, to put food mm-hmm. on the table and not but having also, the money to redistribute into the economy exactly that's the economic argument so if if instead people were losing their jobs left right and center they wouldn't be paying income tax they would be claiming more benefits they wouldn't be spending which you know has vat they wouldn't be spending which is other businesses profit the economy would grind to a standstill so the, the keynesian economics argument is that although it's a lot of money i think it was 40 billion pounds mm-hmm. the last time i saw it uh, the, the figure but actually uh, that's a lot lower then the cost to the economy would be without that sort of intervention. Yeah, because obviously, uh, thinking about it, post-lockdown life, which seems for a long way away at the moment, um, that the fact that some, if we didn't have these um, schemes, there wouldn't be the businesses on the street that people would go to, go and get their shopping, go and um, see some tourist boards, you know, like local tourist areas. And the fact is that uh, without the job retention scheme, uh, life post lockdown would certainly be a lot certainly be a lot bleaker than it actually is going to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how do you how do you get the economy going again if no one has any money to spend? Yeah, and all the businesses have no workers. Um, so that the hope. I, I, it seems to me, and you know, goodness knows if if this is actually what's going to happen. But the hope is that if the government can keep people ticking along throughout the lockdown by paying people's wages, by giving grants and loans to businesses, then when when we're allowed to, everyone will get back to work, get back to buying, get back to making, just as they would have been before, and there'll be a, a relatively short-term knock-on effect. And we've seen just yesterday Virgin 
Atlantic saying that they're going to cut. <laughs> That's um, actually my next point. <laughs> oh. oh. Do you want me to go? Want to go on to it? So also, it is having a very the crisis is having a very significant impact on larger businesses, uh, and as a result, unemployment will rise. For example, Virgin Atlantic announced yet, well, this week, that they will no longer operate a Gatwick and cut 3,000 jobs. But these are companies that are owned by mega-rich people. And Virgin Atlantic is known by Sir Richard Branson, as everyone knows. And he has a net worth of 4.2 billion US dollars. So do you think, Jacob, that, do you believe that this is, unfair that these companies owned by super wealthy individuals like Sir Richard Branson are going to let people lose their jobs just so they can hold on to their wealth in effect. I mean, it does, it leaves a bad taste. Um, I admit this is how a populist argument goes. It leaves a bad taste that these companies are paying hundreds of millions of pounds in bonuses to their big bosses. Mm -hmm. Their big boss for God's sake, owns an island, and somehow they end up laying off thousands of workers. Just, just not know about. Um, uh, he also owns Virgin Media, Virgin Broadband, Virgin Money, all this other, you know, Virgin Trains exactly. as they were on the West Coast Main Line. I mean, the the, the counter argument from Virgin's perspective is that they weren't asking for a bailout as. Uh, or, or they, they weren't asking for a grant they weren't just asking for a pot of money but and to say thank you very they, much they're they asking for a loan which yeah but they, they were threatening that they're saying otherwise these 3,000 people who have done nothing wrong are going to get their jobs cut and these are, could be 3,000 people who are struggling to live above the bread line and uh, get food in food, food on the table I mean, that's the thing that they'll then have to go onto benefits, onto universal credit. But the problem with universal credit, and God knows for many of them in terms of the implementation, if not the idea, the problem is that it's, it's designed, it's raison d'etre, if you're French, is to encourage people into work. It's it, which you know when people are being told by the government under no uncertain terms do not go to work, um, you would question whether um, something has to give. So now it's time for our new segment, which we're very looking forward to. Who's that talking? This game is called Who's That Talking. This is a game that puts Jacob and I up against each other, which I'm sure Jacob's looking forward to. <laughs> Let me tell you highlight of my week, as long as I win. If not, then I'm going to try and block it out and challenge you to a rematch. <laughs> what we'll do is read out three quotes and name three politicians, and all we have to do is match the politician with the quote, and each match is worth one point. Whoever gets the most points wins. So Jacob is guessing first, so it's time to see who's that talking. So these are the three quotes. So number one is, in some sense, I'm a romantic. I like the idea of organic history and tradition. Number two okay. is, I've just been away for a week and I dropped my blackberry in the sea while I was messing around with my kids so no one can reach me. Blissful. I heartily recommend it. Uh, quote number three is, I can only go one way. 
I've got I've not got a reverse gear. And the politicians are Nick Clegg, Rory Stewart and Tony Blair. Okay, um And Tony Blair, I just scribbled these down on a, a post it note. Um Do you want me now, to read out the quotes um, again? I think actually and I'm my, my confidence might be completely misplaced, but I think I'm gonna be able to do this. Rory Stewart always harped on about the, the romanticism of the middle ground. So his is the one about being romantic, I, I'll say. Um, the one about the Blackberry, I read Nick Clegg's autobiography, um, and he talked about on the day after the 2015 election, having to go phone shopping because he would no longer have his Blackberry. So I, I reckon that's him. And then the sort of cheesy, confident, charismatic, I've only only go one way, I would say that's Mr. Blair. Well, Jacob, you've got zero points. Nice. <laughs> oh, no, you've actually got three points. Full marks, well done. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. You had me there, Thomas. <laughs> okay, oh. now it's uh, my turn to guess. It is indeed. So I can only so draw. I have I have three quotations. Number one, <clears throat> I've been misunderestimated. <laughs> Number two, I would say that I'm lower upper middle class. And number three, what did the president know and when did he know it? Okay, the first one sounds very, very... Uh, I'll, I'll, Esque of somebody who's rather big in politics nowadays. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you the three people. So, one of them is Roy Stewart, one of them is Howard Baker, and one of them is George W. Bush. <sighs> I thought we were going to say Donald Trump on one. Okay, uh, George W. Bush is generally portrayed as being quite dim. <laughs> so. Misunderestimated. That sounds like something he would say. Uh, Rory Stewart, the middle one, the the mid, the three classes. That sounds something that he would say. And whoever the other guy was, Howard Baker. Is that it? Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna go Bush for the first one, uh, yeah. Stewart for the second one, and Howard Baker for the third one. Mister Ridley, you got them all right. Oh yes. So that's finished at uh, free all. George, George Bush, known for his Bushisms, misunderestimated yeah. being but one of them. I misunderestimated uh, you. Rory Stewart, somehow, somehow calculating that he's lower, upper, middle class, and we mourn the death of his mayoral campaign. Yes, today. yeah, but I, I'm sure people in London are pleased knowing that um, Etonians are not going to be sleeping in their front rooms anymore, so... <laughs> And finally, what did the president know and when did he know it? That was um, asked to Nixon in the Watergate investigation. It's a, a very famous question by, crucially, a Republican senator. So it shows his own party turning on him, asking the hard questions not long until he resigned. You can't imagine that sort of bipartisanship today. So we can only go one way in the show now. And... We don't have a reverse gear. <laughs> Is that you, Tony? Um, yeah, Tony Blair. Um, everyone's favourite Prime Minister. 
Who, who can forget Blair's babes? Uh, now, I, you don't try to. <laughs> now it's time to discuss how you, yes, you, can be involved in next week's show. Ladies and gentlemen, you, yes, you, I, re I really feel like Lord Kitchener here. Yes, you have the chance to be a special guest on next week's Keeping It Current. All you have to do is let us know about your lockdown stories. And interestingly enough, uh, one of our fans, uh, Callum, came uh, and sent me a message last week and told us how he's been spending his lockdown. And he said that he's been drawing caricatures and he drew one of the legend that is the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, uh, who is rather becoming a bit of a legend in uh, UK folklore at the minute, isn't he, Jacob? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Callum has a definite uh, future in caricatures if he wants to pursue it. A man of many talents, of course. I, I, th I think a challenge for Callum, if you're listening, I, I hope you, I presume you are, because you said you're looking forward to next week's episode. You can, I think you should do a caricature of me, of me or Jacob, <laughs> which we can share on the Keeping It Current social pages. <laughs> So, uh, whatever you've done, let us know. And the best, the best, what in, in my and Jacob's opinion, what's the best story will give you the opportunity to be a special guest and face the infamous political would you rather. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, isn't it, Jacob? Well, I dare say if you just um, show up and say words, then Thomas will decide that you're doing a better job than I am, and it will become quite quickly a permanent opportunity. And we also, uh, uh, we did on the Instagram page last week, we also asked for suggestions on how to improve the um, uh, the show, and I'm pretty sure I did get some good, um, good suggestions. Uh, I'll read some of them out here. Uh, I don't know who said this, but one of them said a more Jacob Reed, which is a very difficult given he's in it so much already. And and so that. somebody said if I was on it and that person, I will tell you, it's my mother. And ma'am, you are not eligible for this competition. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, you see, I, I think I speak on behalf of the entire keeping it current fan base when I say that Catherine Ridley would be the making of this podcast. She would take it from strength to strength and really I think she should be on Thomas. No, she would destroy destroy it. Just like she's done with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> also, at the moment, as I've just said, my mum cut my hair, so uh, we have no hairdressers open. So the job of a hairdresser comes down to our loved ones. So what we would like you to do... Yes, they become your worst enemies. And named and shamed on your podcast. <laughs> uh, what we would like you to do is to share your... Wait for it. Covid cuts. Or maybe even your lockdown locks. <laughs> and... Our, my and Jacob's favourites will be shared via our social media page if you decide to... Uh, share with us and uh, if you share with us your covid cut i will share my covid cut on the uh, social pages <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of political would you rather next up we have the return of political would you rather with the one and only jacob reed <laughs> 
Jacob, you know the drill as we have unsuccessfully managed to get rid of you from the first ever episode. <laughs> All you have to do is to pick your favourite politician out of the two politicians I name. So, brace yourself, Jacob Reed, because this is your political would you rather. Vince Cable or Joe Swinson? Oh. <laughs> um, I mean... Neither of them were particularly electorally successful. I, I did quite like the, the the plucky audacity of Joe Swinston and saying, "I'm your female candidate uh, for prime minister. I'm your candidate for prime minister." But she's not terms. even she's not even a member of parliament anymore. So. <laughs> not anymore. Ne- neither's Vince, but he was a senior cabinet minister. Yeah. Um, and appeared in the Strictly Come Dancing Christmas special yeah. one. Yeah. I, I I think I'll say Vince. Vince, okay. The next one. Wait for it. Pretty Patel or Jacob Rees Mogg? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 goodness me. Um, um, well, Pretty Patel wants to bring back the death penalty, which. Uh, uh, and conducts meetings, unofficial meetings, and documented <laughs> meetings when she's on her holiday. Um, I don't see what's uh, wrong with that, Jacob. Literally, you can go have a meeting with you know the prime minister of um, I don't know Ukraine or something uh, on holiday and get them to dig you dig up some rubbish on uh, your uh, political rivals and you get away with it, you know. Quid pro pro? Is that you, Mister Trump? Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, on the other hand, um, is is. It, is is an ardent supporter of Brexit. He is 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 quite. Um, I would say backwards on issues like women's rights. But I think I, I think you. I think there's something, if not likable, then authentic about him. And yeah, he's got a bit of a sense. He's got. He, he actually has a bit of a sense of humour, which I, I fa- find surprising for some Tory MPs to have a sense of humour. <laughs> I think he's aware of himself. I think he, you might say he's a gentleman. I do share a name with him, so I have to say Jacob Rees-Mogg. I, I never thought I would hear Jacob Reed pick Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yes, but now, now we can just call him Jacob Rees-Mogg. It's not, not the first time I've heard that name, and I'm very much hoping you have. Tony Blair or Gordon Brown? Oh, now my instinct is Tony Blair because he what 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 an epic political operator. Um, surely the most electorally successful prime minister we've ever had. But I I I, I worry that he was too compromising. He took us to Iraq. Meanwhile, Gordon Brown had quite a temper. There's no doubt about that, but he he was widely praised for as as chancellor and then um, for for saving uh, for for doing a good job during the um, the and obviously he he was the one who didn't take us into the euro. He was that was a big dividing line between him and and Blair. Blair Blair wanted to see us do it. I've got to admit with Blair, I I I I want to like him, but you've got. Um, his passion for the euro, which I actually think was misplaced, because you've not got a, any sort of um, economic alignment in terms of policy. You've got taking us into Iraq, um, 
you, I don't think he moved fast enough on 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 increasing investment. I'm gonna go brown. I'm gonna go brown. Oh, I think that's a controversial. Yeah, it's controversial. Yes. Yeah, uh, let us know what you think uh, at the email address or on the Facebook page, Twitter page, or Instagram page. So, if you're if you're dismayed by Jacob's decisions, and we'll get you to voice them on. Uh, Next week's show, yes, uh, dear Thomas, Jacob Reed picked Gordon Brown over Tony Blair. I, I don't know what's got into his head. Maybe it's just lockdown. <laughs> um, next one is David Cameron or Theresa May. David Cameron or Theresa May. Um, well, I've just finished reading David Cameron's autobiography. He was he he, he was socially liberal, for example. Um, allowing gay marriage, so thumbs up for that. Thumbs up for making a coalition with the Lib Dems work. Um, but I think um, I think he took unnecessary risks in the in in. Well, well, I, I basically think he completely bungled the entire EU job. I think mm-hmm. um, he was lazy with his arguments on electoral reform. Going to Theresa May, she's. Quite, quite, quite simply, one of the least successful prime ministers in living memory. Her stated aim was to 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 achieve Brexit. Yeah, obviously we had them. You had them earlier last year. You had them the free votes, the ones that went on, on, and she managed to finally get some of the Brexiteers to side with her when she promised her resignation. (laughs) Not, not forgetting, of course, Boris Johnson to to side with her, and that. Uh, adds kudos to the argument, but his deal was only only ninety five percent hers. Um, she 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 I think had a very strong sense of duty. Yes. I think her finest hour came in responding to the poisoning at Salisbury. Yeah. Um, so let me let. Oh, oh Thomas, why did you do this to me, man? Let let me let me say if not if for nothing else to strike up a bit of controversy, Theresa May. Oh, oh, oh I, I think the phone lines will be ringing. <laughs> I want to feel the exhilaration of running through those fields of wheat. Yes, yes. Um, uh, J- Jacob's um, the worst thing that he's ever done is probably going on an eight k run. So. I <laughs> think <laughs> it felt like. Did you run some, through some fields of wheat, Jacob? Yeah. I'll stick to I'll stick to a field. Okay, next one is Jeremy Hunt or Matt Hancock. Okay, now um, I just finished reading a book by a junior doctor, which is is unsurprisingly. Quite it's not Alan Kay, is it? Uh, no, although that that was that had me in stitches. This one yeah. was um, um, Rachel Clark, uh-huh. and she did not have anything good to say about Jeremy Hunt. <laughs> Um, I, I presume people, uh, some of you, may pronounce it on a different way his name, but we are a PG show, so we're not we're not going. We're having none of that squabbles, you know. Yes, yes, Mister Ridley. We're not we're not getting um, we're not getting off come on our backs, man. The podcast regulator, whoever they are, the PP, I, I the think, podcast, please. <laughs> I think Jeremy Hunt, he comes across as quite a quite a gentlemanly figure, a, a, a self-made man, and I think actually I would feel more comfortable with him, him in charge at the minute. He's leading the Health Select Committee and we're in the middle of a massive health crisis. Matt Hancock, 
I will I will him on, um, and I, I I find myself quite liking him, but, but um, I think he's too young. I, I yeah. I think yeah. You see you see when he takes to the stage in the press conference, he, he always seems a bit not not that confident in like especially responding to a question. He's always like stuttering. Well, obviously Boris does that, but Boris managed to make him make a. A show out of it in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously you got to be conscious because you can be the most dismal public speaker in the world, and you can be the most competent person behind closed doors. Um, I do think his heart's in the right place. I think he's switched on to technology. Uh, I, I, let me let me say let me say Matt Hancock. Yes, good 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 choice. Uh, a fellow Newcastle United fan. Um, <laughs> Okay, uh, Andy Burnham or David Lammy? Oh, now I, I saw Andy Burnham when, when I was in the youth parliament, and I remember everyone in the room was cap- captivated by what he was saying, and I, I, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, it's like, say, if you become the future leader of the Labour Party, Andy Burnham comes up to you and goes, like, hey, Jacob, I, I did a talk for you, and you're like, yeah. What 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 did you say? I I, I wasn't listening to anything. <laughs> I do I do remember what he said, and I'm sure he has no idea who would I was. Well, yeah, but he might remember your face. That, well, your face is quite memorable, I would say. <laughs> um, or maybe maybe forgettable. I don't know. David <laughs> David Lammy. Um, I I I was very excited. I will not sugarcoat it. Very excited when he was appointed shadow justice secretary i think he's got a tenacious campaigning energy he's alive to the problems of the uh, of institutional racism in our society for me this is an easy one i would be david lammy okay rory stewart or ed Miliband? <laughs> um well i i am missing cranston so i would love to slaughter a bacon sandwich um <laughs> But, Baker um, man. <laughs> there is something. There, there is something wonderfully peculiar about Rory Stewart, and I suspect. Yeah, because you see, see the way he presented himself in the debates. You remember last year he took his tie off, and he's just like, he was just, he was just like that on the, the the corner, just like. He, he did, and I think as well, he his idea about his version of populism isn't to go with a flow about migration. It's to strip people of honours who don't deserve them anymore and abolish parking fees. That's something very British. He talked very movingly about the romantic middle ground, and um, actually, the, the person, someone who I worked with. Um, uh, Michael in the youth parliament, he used to be a PE teacher and he taught both Ed and David Miliband and said that David Miliband was cool and well liked and popular and Ed Miliband was a bit weird and so that makes um, sense. I think all things considered I would pick Rory Okay, Boris Johnson or Dominic Raab? <laughs> the um, acting Prime Minister or the real Prime Minister? Mm-hmm um, I'm. I, I. I think I'm going to have to say Boris. Yeah, good, good, good choice, old chap. Yes. Um. Yes, at his best, I think he is very, um, uh, very, um, you know, ambitious. Lots of great ideas. 
and uh, at his worst, he is worse than Dominic Crab. But that's what I'll say. Okay, Nigel Farage or Ian Duncan Smith? Oh, one second, sorry. Okay. Uh, you're back in the room, Jacob. J- Jacob is, I, I managed to give my Jacob disappear with my magic powers, which I've been developing over the lockdown, but he's back in the room. Uh, Sorry, but no wonders if I have a Zoom call. Skype, we're on Skype actually. Yeah, because if, if we were, we were all going over the fee by now, Jacob, I would have been happy to pay about £12 a month or something. Um, <laughs> Nigel Farage or Ian Duncan Smith? Ian Duncan Smith, I think he's less of a racist. <laughs> and Nick Clegg or Leila Moran? Our good friend, of oh. course. Yeah, we, yes, we got, we um, got, we got the Keeping Current Gang got a selfie with Leila, Leila Moran, you know? Yeah, we met we met her at any question. And she was very kind? She was very kind. Very very switched on um, in terms of so- social media because we were telling her about our, our, our friend Lydia who was a member of the Lib Dems and felt disillusioned by the fact that she had lobbied Vince Cable personally at Parliament and he had not replied and she said with no hesitation let me film a message for Lydia which which clearly takes I mean she's been for the leadership Nick Clegg um he's Blackberry to ever take for the Lib Dems <laughs> in government um he um if you look at his time in government, was it a failure? He didn't get electoral reform. He didn't get law, laws ref, uh, laws reform. Many people blame him for austerity, tuition fees. Um, but I feel myself with some sort of a soft spot for him. At one point in the 2010 election, he, w- he was leading the polls. Let's say Nick Clegg. Let's buzz that in. Okay, so thank you very much for that political word, you rather, Jacob. And I'm sure there'll be many comments coming in from the adoring fans of Keeping It Current about your some of your pure choices, in my words. I, I, th- I think I need to lie down. That was very intense. Now it's time to review this week's show. <laughs> oh, what a great show, Jacob, wasn't it? Oh, uh, it was... A blast, an absolute blast. Thank you, Thomas. Join us next week, next Thursday, as uh, Thursday is also keeping it current date as well as the very important clap for carers. I, I just want to say, this is take number two. In take number one, Thomas Ridley said... Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Forget clap for carers, this is keeping it current day. Uh, well, remember clap for carers, because it's very important to show our gratitude and we can also clap for keeping it current at the same time last week there was because I live um, near it there was a corner shop near us and um, we were all stood out clapping and then a man walked up the path and he'd, he'd just been to get I don't know his milk and eggs and all of a sudden we were all clapping him. it was like thought, he's like was getting a guard of honour almost he's like, he was he's like you <laughs> made it you made it you know, keep going. And if I was me, I would have really just leaned into it, arms out. You know, I did it. Um, but I think he was very embarrassed and didn't look any of us in the eye. Yeah. So uh, we will have another instalment of the. I really enjoyed it. Guess who is talking? Uh, 
will also have the much-anticipated return of Caller on the line. Yes, that's right, William, get geared up when you're back. <laughs> and most importantly, we'll be joined by one of you. Yes, you. Uh, just remember, you can just get in touch via the socials. Tell us your lockdown hobbies, habits, whatever. If you've picked up bad habits like picking your toenails or something or cutting other people's hair, who, who knows? You're, just just give us some stories and we'll, we'll have you on. Um, so thank you to Jacob Reed for the political analysis once again thank you Thomas and thanks to you for listening and remember to share your lockdown tales for a chance to be on the show next week so be, sh- be sure to join us next week well, we won't be going outside but we will be staying, will inside. Be staying inside goodbye